Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Welcome to On the Ball with Rick Buecher. Here's your host. Let's send it over to Rick Buecher. Rick Buecher. This is On the Ball on the United Wecast Network, and I am Rick Buecher. You can see me on FS1, hear me on Fox Sports Radio, and you can read me on the Fox Sports app and at foxsports.com. You can also follow me on both Twitter and Instagram at Rick Buecher. I'm a lot of places. But there's only one place you can hear me talking about story angles and perspectives that you are not likely to find anywhere else, primarily but not exclusively involving the NBA. And that is here. All right, so we are just moments actually away from the start of the NBA Finals 2023 between the Denver Nuggets and the Miami Heat. And I am just hoping for a competitive Series. I'm not counting on it, but I'm hoping for it. I'm hoping that the Miami Heat surprise us one more time and put up a much tougher fight than we had anticipated going into any of their series. Now, I should be putting out, well, I should have put out yesterday already, a finals preview episode. And so I apologize in advance because that's probably not where I'm going to spend the better of my time since we are very close to tip-off. And if I was really smart, I wouldn't do a preview at all at this stage. I would simply wait for the end of game one and then talk about what we saw. I am planning on doing that, but I am going to go ahead and give you a little bit of what I'm anticipating going in, along with a Kyrie Irving trade possibility that was presented to me in the last 48 hours that makes so much sense. I want to dive into that. So I'm going to split the difference. I'm going to talk a little bit about what I expect in game one and from this series between the Nuggets and Heat in general, and then get into why the deal, the Kyrie Irving trade that I had posed to me makes so much sense and why I'd like to see it happen. Now, everything in my head says that the Nuggets should make short work of the Heat in the finals. And everything in my heart wants to believe that the Heat can defy logic the same way they did in beating the Bucks and the Celtics. I'm going to put the Knicks aside 
because I always considered them regular season overachievers. And they are the one team I was confident the Heat could beat in this run of theirs. This is what my head tells me. The Heat went seven games with the Boston Celtics. A Celtics team whose defensive intensity went up and down, who were completely perplexed by how to dissect a zone defense, which... To be fair, Miami plays as well as anyone in the league and who didn't know the difference between a quality three-point shot and a bad one. All that and the Celtics still pushed the series to the limit. I can't see the Nuggets having any of those problems. The only time their defense has really wavered was the first two games in the Phoenix series in Phoenix and... So games three and four, actually. And Coach Mike Malone, unlike Celtics coach Joe Mazzulla, let the entire world know that he expected more from his team and that their defensive effort was below their standard. Didn't make any allowances or excuses for them just because Devin Booker and Kevin Durant were on the other team. He expected more. He demanded more. And guess what? He got more. That's how it works. On the other hand, when it comes to playing against the zone defense, they have the ultimate zone buster, Nikola Jokic. The Celtics, when they even tried to get somebody inside the zone, which is essentially how you break it. You try to get the ball to someone inside the zone. And then it forces the zone to move like an amoeba and react to having that ball in its midst. Now, the key is the guy that you've put in the middle has to be someone who is a threat to hit it from the elbow or from somewhere around the three-point line or put it on the floor and drive or, most important, be able to pass the ball, be able to find the opening uh, or the open man when the zone collapses in order to stop that guy inside it. Nikola Jokic is capable of that. The Celtics, when they tried to do it, were doing it with Al Horford. And if you watched, anytime he got it, he immediately turned and then was looking to kick it back out for a three. It was very predictable. Very rarely did anything else. I would not expect that from Jokic. He can do just about everything. He can hit that mid-range. He can put it on the floor and drive. Doesn't have to get all the way to the cup. Just one dribble, little floater either hand. Or he's going to find cutters. Or he's going he's gonna to orchestrate everything from inside. Playing the zone, and somebody gave me the stat on it during the regular season. There's only 11 possessions that the Miami Heat played zone against the Denver Nuggets. They scored 19 points off of those 11 possessions. That's, that's pretty good. Especially since you're only, it was probably just a little wrinkle. Took a possession maybe or two to adjust. And then away you go. I just don't see how that zone defense is going to be an issue for the Denver Nuggets. Put Jokic uh, inside that zone at the elbow. He's going to find cutters and open shooters. And I don't see how the Heat can play a zone for any extended period of time. Certainly not as much as they did against the Celtics. Again, because of all the shooters, because of how the Denver Nuggets offense is far more disciplined than anything that we saw from the Boston Celtics. My FS1 colleague, Katina Mobley, 
suggested that the Nuggets have not faced a defense as physical and tough and relentless as Miami's, and that it's going to be a shock to their system. Katino was suggesting that this is going to be a tough series, that Miami poses a threat. In fact, I, not mistaken, I believe he thinks the Heat is going to win the series. He also thought that the Lakers were going to beat the Nuggets for some of the same reasons. I would like to believe that Miami can do what the Lakers did not. I'm just not convinced that they can. The Lakers, after all, were supposed to be a pretty stout defense, and the Nuggets got what they needed against them for a sweep. Now, I'm sure that the Heat's transition defense is going to be much better than the Lakers was, but I don't know if the Heat's half-court defense is going to be able to handle the Nuggets' size as well as the Lakers did because they simply don't have that same size. The Lakers' problem was they just couldn't get back. And, and the Nuggets, again, one of the reasons why I have them favored is they can play more than one way. If you have a slower, bigger team, they have the ability to get out and run, even with Jokic. If uh, your team is built to get up and down, then they can slow it down and they will beat you up. I realize that the Heat even being in the finals doesn't make sense. And so we can look at the teams that they beat and think, well, they've defied what we would expect from a small, relatively short-benched team. And so why can't they do the same against the Nuggets? They beat a Bucks team with size, didn't they? Yes, they did. But it was a Bucks team that didn't have a lot of athleticism, especially with Giannis Antetokounmpo out for essentially two and a half games with a bad back. And Chris Middleton never quite looking like himself. And the Bucks overall not shooting the three well, if I remember correctly. I haven't gone back to double-check the stats on that, but I believe that that is correct. The Knicks had size as well. But they didn't have the Nuggets' offensive versatility, and they certainly didn't have the same long-range shooting. Denver shot 49% overall, 40% from three, and averaged 118 points against the Lakers. The Celtics shot 46% overall, 30% from three, and averaged 105 points against the Heat. Now, if I remember correctly, going in to the respective conference finals people were talking about the lakers being the best defense in all of basketball or certainly all of the playoffs so i'm not quite buying that the nuggets can't do what to the heat what they did to the lakers if you want to say the heat are a little more athletic a little more disciplined i certainly have been together longer okay but I just feel as if we are underestimating what Michael Porter Jr., the threat that he poses inside and outside now, uh, along with the shooting of Contavious Caldwell-Pope and Bruce Brown. And meanwhile, defensively, they are playing at a much higher level than the Boston Celtics were, and certainly more consistently. They can put big athletic defenders on Jimmy Butler and Aaron Gordon and Jeff Green, much the way they did on LeBron James, and still have top defenders to put on Gabe Vincent and Max Struess 
with Bruce Brown and Contavious Caldwell Pope. And then on the flip side, who is guarding Jamal Murray? Kyle Lowry? Tyler Harrow if he comes back? And who is matching up with Michael Porter Jr.? Okay, enough. We will find out soon enough exactly how the Nuggets and Heat match up and whether we are in for a compelling series or not. On to the trade rumor. Now, there's been plenty of talk about the Lakers acquiring Kyrie Irving, talk that was fueled in part of late when he showed up at two of the Lakers' home playoff games. And I saw some criticism of the Lakers for that, as if they were inviting Kyrie to those games or they should have been proactive in discouraging him from attending kind of seemed weird to me, but I I saw some of that criticism. This is what those critics may not be aware of. Kyrie didn't fly in from Dallas to attend those games or Brooklyn. He has a home in LA. From what I understand, he spent all last offseason in LA in anticipation that he might be playing for the Lakers. Him attending those playoff games wasn't necessarily some subtle power play by LeBron and Clutch and Kyrie to get the Lakers fans hyped and put pressure on GM Rob Palenka to put Kyrie in purple and gold. I imagine there's some people who are thinking that way as well. As far as I know, Kyrie just had the opportunity to see his friend LeBron and decided to take in a game. We heard the same sort of innuendo surrounding Damian Lillard taking in a couple of Brooklyn Nets games, if I'm not mistaken. We should take the innuendo about both and what it meant in the same vein, which is one that we don't take very seriously. But just to be sure, because I like to be sure, I checked with a source that is familiar with the Lakers thinking and knows Kyrie. And I asked what the odds were that Kyrie could still wind up in a Lakers uniform. And I was told, zero percent. This, mind you, is from someone who last summer really hoped and believed that Kyrie might be with the Lakers last season, that a deal potentially bringing not only Kyrie but KD in exchange for Westbrook and Anthony Davis from the Nets was a possibility. That was the the pie-in-the-sky idea. But the thought that Kyrie could wind up here, uh, the source thought, was reasonable. It was at least being discussed. It is not being discussed now, from what I've heard. The reason for Kyrie now having no chance of being a Laker, the source intimated, is because LeBron and Rich Paul, his agent, want it to happen. And the last time LeBron and Rich wanted a player really badly, it was Russell Westbrook. And the Lakers gave away a ton of assets in order to make that happen. Now, Rich and LeBron have tried really hard through various outlets to spin that away from themselves, to hang the decision on Malinka, to downplay how much they were involved in making it happen or wanting it to happen. But that's not how it went. We only know how it turned out. Conversely, when the Lakers ignored LeBron's desire to get Kyrie again at the trade deadline and instead executed their own plan by getting Rui Hachimura and D'Angelo Russell, Jared Vanderbilt, and Malik Beasley, the team surged, without LeBron on the court, I might add, while 
the Dallas Mavericks went ahead and pulled the trigger and went got and went and got Kyrie, and he proved to be an anchor around the necks of the Dallas Mavericks. Now I'm not going to put their their fall from playoff spot into the lottery entirely on Kyrie, but after that, there's simply no way that Jeannie Buss and the Lakers are going to do LeBron's bidding and give up assets in order to get Kyrie. It's simply far too much of a roll of the dice. You might think that all that I just discussed about Kyrie would make it a cautionary tale as far as acquiring him. And maybe it should be. But there's at least one guy out there who wants to play with him. And that's Kevin Durant of the Phoenix Suns. I know what some of you may be thinking. Surely, after all that happened in Brooklyn, KD doesn't want to hook up with Kyrie again, does he? Surely, he's learned better. You might think that. And you might think KD should think that. But that's not what I've heard. KD looks at what happened in Brooklyn and blames it on Steve Nash and Sean Marks and owner Joe Sy. He does not look at Kyrie any different as a player. He firmly believes that he and Kyrie are still capable of doing something special. Yeah, the whole COVID, not getting vaccinated, threw a wrench in things, and I'm sure KD wished that hadn't happened. But nothing that happened in Brooklyn, from what I understand, dented KD's view and friendship with Kyrie he even Kyrie asking out and asking to be traded before KD did Kyrie wanted a, an extension he wanted a new contract and the Nets were not willing to give it to him and that's when he said I want out KD feels like that's understandable I don't know that you're going to pay me I don't know that you're going to keep me I might as well bounce now and maybe most important with KD he just likes the idea of trying to win with Kyrie at his side. Look, we, we, all of us, we don't always know if we're going to accomplish a particular goal. But we do know who we enjoy working with. And that when it comes down to it, we'd rather pursue goals with people we enjoy being around rather than someone that we don't. Even if that person we don't like might give us a better chance of reaching that goal. It's all about the journey, not the destination. Isn't that what we hear all the time? Maybe that's the way KD is thinking. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. KD still likes having Kyrie as a teammate. Now, whether or not Suns owner Matt Ishbia would go along with the idea of reuniting them remains to be seen. But KD and Kyrie have an important ally, and that's Isaiah Thomas, 
the former Detroit Pistons legend. You may have seen Isaiah more recently in the incident when Nikola Jokic pushed Ishbia when he would not let go of the ball when it went into the stands during the Suns Nuggets series. Isaiah was sitting right next to Matt. Matt and Isaiah have had a relationship for a while now. Matt is using him as a consultant. Um, there was some pushback when that looked like it was going to be official. It's still happening. It's just unofficial. Matt realized that it wasn't good PR based on some of the things in Isaiah, Isaiah's past. So he decided to keep it on the down low. But as evidenced by Isaiah sitting next to him at that game, it's not as if Matt has put him at arm's length. He's still around. And Isaiah knows and likes Kyrie. Isaiah, Isaiah would certainly be in Matt's ear talking about how much the be- better, how much better the Suns would be if they had Kyrie. Now I have to think that the Dallas Mavericks also would be motivated to make that deal if it was an exchange for DeAndre Ayton. Doing a side and trade with Kyrie for Ayton would accomplish a number of things. It would allow Kyrie to make something close to the max salary the Nets refused to give him and thereby prompted his desire to be traded. It also would give the Mavs a piece that fills far more holes for them than Kyrie can. The Mavs need size and shot blocking and screen setting. Ayton, check, check, and check. But Ayton is also a lob threat and a pick-and-pop threat which would open things up for Luka Doncic offensively. He just, I see the the combination of those two working much better than Kyrie and Luka. You can say that end of games, you'd have two threats and you don't know that Aiton is necessarily that. How well did that work exactly for the Mavs at the end of last year? They never quite made that work to the level that everybody expected. Aiton is also markedly younger than Irving, putting him more on the same timeline as Doncic. It doesn't hurt that Aiton and Luka have the same agent, Bill Duffy. I would also think it would be a huge face-saving move for Mavericks GM Nico Harrison. He and the Mavs don't look particularly smart right now after dealing Dorian Finney-Smith, Spencer Dinwiddie, a future first-round pick, and a couple future seconds for Kyrie and Markeith Morris. The Mavs went from being in the playoffs to missing them after making the deal. Now, there's very little chance that they could have flipped the package they sent to the Nets for Kyrie to Phoenix for Ayton. But moving Kyrie for Ayton seems far more equitable and maybe even favorable for the Suns. It's a little bit like the Warriors being panned initially because... They took D'Angelo Russell for Kevin Durant in the trade that sent KD to Brooklyn. You would look at that and go, well, that's not a fair trade. But they were then able to flip D'Angelo Russell for Andrew Wiggins. And Andrew Wiggins doing what he did suddenly made it look like Bob Myers, former GM of the Warriors, was a bit of a magician, if not a genius. That's the same sort of thing that could happen here. Yeah, in the short term, the Kyrie deal from 
the Nets for what the Dallas for what Dallas sent out and what ultimately happened to them in the short term, much like the way the Warriors played with D'Angelo, didn't look good. But where it ultimately ended up made them look like they were playing chess rather than checkers, even if they didn't quite know how it was all going to turn out. And as I said at the start, this is merely a rumor at this stage. But it's one that, in a variety of ways, makes sense, especially especially if Kyrie or the Mavs are balking about continuing the relationship. We shall see where things go. Before I go, I have to tell you about Mizzen and Maine, men's fine fashion wear. If you've seen me on TV, you've seen their shirts. I wear them exclusively for all my appearances. But I've also dug deeper into their catalog. I'm wearing their t-shirts and their joggers now almost exclusively when I'm either hanging out or just to get to and from the studio. All of their stuff is made from performance wear material, which means it's light, breathable, stretchy, and is very low maintenance. Wash on cold, hang dry, tumble on low heat, is ready to go in a snap. No going to the dry cleaners. No ironing. I don't I haven't ironed one of their things yet. Maybe steam on occasion. The joggers and the leisure suits are so stylish, I wear them while traveling on the plane, even in first class. And the comfort is second to none. So please check them out. Mizzenandmain.com. M-I-Z-Z-E-N-A-N-D-M-A-I-N.com. And when you do, use the promo code Buker. Three five. My last name, numeral three, numeral five, for $35 off your first order. I would just be forewarned. I guarantee if you buy one of anything that they make, you are going to be back for more. All right, in the next podcast, it's either going to be a breakdown of game one or a breakdown of the series after the first two games. Got a lot of things going on right now, so I don't know how quickly I can get to the next episode, but I'm going to be putting out the episodes, hopefully, on a more consistent base through the entire finals, however long they may last. In the meantime, as always, thanks for listening. When we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com/style for free shipping and 365-day returns.